This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Turn in your Bible with me to Colossians chapter 1. And for our guests, we have uh, been in a study in the book of Colossians. Now this is our, actually our 15th week. Um, in Colossians 1. We're actually going to wrap up chapter 1 today, 15 weeks in chapter 1. That's pretty good. That's, uh, that's about two weeks a verse almost, so, um, uh, or a week, week every two verses or something like that. But uh, Colossians 1, God has a job for me to do. We're going to be talking about some things that I hope are going to be really personal with us this morning. There, there's a saying that you've heard. Um, it's on t-shirts, bumper stickers, cute kind of one of these cute little sayings. Everybody's heard it. At least everybody at 9 o'clock had. I'm, I'm assuming you all are as astute as they are on these kind of things. But the saying, I'm going to say the first part, and I bet you can answer back the second. If you can't run with the big dogs, three or four of you, yeah, you guys are not as bright as those at 9 o'clock. Obviously, they're more focused on bumper stickers and T-shirts. If you can't run with the big dogs, stay under the porch. Do you know what that's talking about? you know what that means? It means if you can't deal with it, then don't get involved. And there are a lot of things in life that that applies to, but I believe there's one application that that doesn't fit in, and that is the context that we're going to talk about this morning, the context of our calling and our ministry that we have in Christ to the church and to the world. Now, today we're going to be challenged by Paul's personal testimony of God's calling in his life. Because just like Paul, and here's where I want, if if this is all you get this morning, then I've, I've succeeded in what I'm trying to do. Just like Paul, every believer has a calling to serve and a calling to minister and a calling to go out and reach this world for Christ. That is our calling through ministry and mission to extend the gospel beyond ourselves. Every one of us. So I really hope that this passage this morning, as we wrap up chapter 1, I hope that, it, that this passage, here, here's, my, here's my motivation. I'll just be honest with you. I hope that we all leave here this morning a little bit uncomfortable. I came to church to be happy. I came to church to walk out with a spring in my step. I hope that you have a spring in your step, but I hope that there is within you this morning when you leave a feeling of a holy discontent, if I can put it that way. A little bit uncomfortable, because you know what happens when we get uncomfortable? It's like, you ever get that get a splinter in your finger? And, and you can't deal with it maybe for a while. You don't know where you can get in there and actually, you know, I used to work in construction. You get splinters, especially plywood's notorious for that stuff. And sometimes you get a bad one, Johnny. You know what you got to do? You just pull out your utility knife and you start digging, you know, until you get that thing out. Um, but, but you ever get a splinter and it's just, you know, and you don't, don't even notice it for a while until you grab something and you press against that splinter with something. Oh, you realize how bad it is. And that motivates me. I got to get this thing out. Um, that's what discomfort does. That's what being uncomfortable does. And I hope this morning that just like that splinter, uh, God uses some discomfort this morning that, that he places within our hearts to to begin to change our lives in some, in some areas. That's, that's kind of my goal. Look with me at verse 23, the second part of verse 23. We stopped last Sunday with the first part. The second part of verse 23 says, this gospel, what gospel? 
back up a track and he says, the gospel that you heard, what gospel is that? That's the story of Jesus, that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, that he rose again, that he ascended back to heaven, the good news of the gospel. This gospel has been proclaimed, Paul says, in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Write down in your notes, if you're taking notes this morning, point number one is that the gospel is for everyone. You think about it. If you've been here in our series, you know that Paul has already established that Jesus Christ is the creator of the whole universe, and that gives him the right and the power to be the universal God. He is. But for him to be anyone's God, there must have been, as he said last Sunday, there must have been that that point, that time, that moment of reconciliation that puts you and I in a place of peace with our creator, with our God. And that is the message of the gospel. That's why the word gospel literally means good news. We were the enemies of God. We were at sorts with God. We were not in in fellowship with God. And, And through Jesus Christ, he has brought us to himself and we've been reconciled. That's good news. And that's what we continue as a church to preach that message, this gospel to all the world through our missionaries, through outreach events that we do right here, through, through, uh, through different things that uh, we just heard about, the, the, uh, the life books, 1,200 of those that our teenagers spread throughout uh, Manio High School and, 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 and First Flight and the middle schools as well, gave them out at school. And, and that's why we, uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, we packed up nearly 100 shoe boxes and were shipped out to children all around this world to give them the good news that you can know God through Jesus Christ. And only, this is our belief here, only the gospel of Jesus, our creator, can bring a man or a woman in any culture, any continent, any color skin, any, any whatever. Only the gospel of Jesus can bring a man or a woman, a boy or a girl into a relationship with the God who created them. And Paul says this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now, a couple things there. Uh, for, I, I think Paul's using a figure of speech, but let me say this. If you go back to the book of Romans and you read Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, you find out a thing that theologians call general revelation, which means everybody on this planet can see the sun go up and the sun go down. Everybody on this planet can see the moon go through its phases. Everybody on this planet sees the rain fall and, and sees, the, sees the seasons change and sees Creation go through what creation goes through four seasons a year, 24 hours a day as the, as the world spins around and does all the things that God's put it in order to do. Everybody on this planet can look at creation, Paul says in Romans, and know there is a God. That's general revelation. So in that sense, yes, it's been proclaimed throughout all the world. But I think Paul is using really a, a figure of speech here because Paul knew Not every place in this planet's heard the gospel. In fact, we know that today. There are places still on this earth that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And that's why our missionaries go. That's why we we, we do what we do in supporting them and praying for them and sending them. And that's that's what motivated Paul, by the way. Paul's dream, we don't know if he ever fulfilled the dream or not, but Paul's dream was to go to Spain. And in Spain, if you think about it, Spain was, you you couldn't go any farther than the Iberian Peninsula without hitting the Atlantic Ocean. That was, in their minds, that was the end of the world. They didn't know North and South America existed. Paul's desire was to go there. Paul's desire was to go to places where no one had ever been before with the gospel, 
preach the gospel, win men and women to Christ and establish churches. And that was his passion. So he knew it hadn't been preached, literally preached everywhere. So he says that, however, that maybe Paul is speaking as a prophet. You know, I don't, I don't know. Because the Bible does tell us that it will go to every culture and every, every land. And, and this was the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, when he said to them, he says, as you go into all the world, I want you to make disciples. He promised them in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said that the Holy Spirit would come and, and be part of them and, and, and enter into them and the church, and they would become witnesses starting right there in Judea and then spreading out to, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and he said ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth. So those were promises that Jesus made, promises that he said about the gospel. Paul, Paul um, or going, if you go back to, uh, to God's promise to Abraham even, in, I guess it's Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to take you and Sarah, and you guys are going to have a baby boy, and, and, and from that child, a whole nation's going to come up, and, and the, and the, the uh, population of that nation, if you will, the, your, your descendants are going to number as the sands of the beach and the stars of the sky. But he said, from your family, all the people of the world will be blessed. He was talking about Jesus coming. So this has been told about throughout the Bible that the the gospel of Jesus is going to go all throughout the world. Paul's implying here that the gospel is not only preached all around the world, but the gospel is for the whole world. It's universal. In other words, it's not the white man's gospel. It's not Western civilization's gospel. It's not just for the poor. It's for everyone. It's not for the educated or the uneducated. It's for everyone. Everyone, everywhere, including your next-door neighbors, the people you work with every day, the the kids that sit in class with you every day, your family, it's for everyone. In fact, Paul wrote to Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God, speaking of Jesus in the gospel, the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, all people. And then Paul goes into sharing a bit of his own story. All of us who have been reborn. Christian, listen to this is If you don't know this, here's something I hope a light bulb goes off in your head. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a story to tell. We call it our testimony. But we all have a story to tell of how we came to Christ. We all should have a story to tell of, now here's what's happened in my life since I came to Christ. But we have this story, and Paul goes into telling his story. But your story, my story, in sharing our faith may be the most powerful tool that we have. You know, we can't, you know, we, we can share our faith, and we can say it's Christmas time, and it's about Jesus coming to be our Savior. And, and hey, have you got a Bible? Yeah, I got a Bible somewhere at home. Well, go home and read your Bible. How many people are going to do that? But how many people say, you know, it's Christmas time and Jesus is coming and he's changed my life. Can, you, can I give you, a, just take just a minute or two, can I tell you this, my story, what he's done in my life? Your friends, they're not going to read to pick up the Bible and read it, chances are. But just, if for nothing else, not to be rude to you, they're going to say, okay, tell me your story. And we all, as Christians, have a story to tell about Christ being our life changer, about Christ being our Savior. 
And your story, by the way, is probably most powerful to the people who know you. Paul begins with a little, this little bit of testimony here in the end of, of verse 20, 23, and he simply says, I, Paul, have become a servant of this gospel. Let me tell you what that means. Next point in your outline is this. All the church, all in the church, have a calling to serve. I become a servant of this gospel. Drop down, we're going to come back to verse 24, but drop down to verse 25. I've become its servant, the gospel servant, according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. Paul says, the ministry that I have is what God gave me to do. It's what God put in me. It's what God called me to do to accomplish his purposes through me. You see, being an apostle wasn't Paul's idea. Paul's idea wasn't even to be a Christian. You remember Paul's story, how he started out. He was a a Jew, and he was very very, uh, zealous about his Jewishness and about the fact that this new cult of of Jesus followers was wrong, and he sought out to, to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. He was there when the first Christian martyrs Uh, Stephen was killed. In fact, he was there giving his approval. And he was traveling to Damascus, a city in Syria, because he knew there was a colony of Christians there. And he was going to go there and arrest them, because they're all Jews, and bring them back to Jerusalem to go to trial for being blasphemers. And that was what he was cut out to do, he thought. Then God changed his life on that road to Damascus, and he met Jesus Christ in a very dramatic way. Now, let me stop and say... I don't know that anybody in here has had that kind of a dra- uh, drama in your conversion. I don't know anybody here was, you're, you're hanging out and you're traveling one day and the light blinded you and you pulled the car off the road and you heard Jesus speak to you and tell you, hey, everything's about to change in your life because you're, you're messing with the wrong guy right now and you turn to Christ. I don't know that anybody has quite the dramatic story that Paul had, but still you have a story of how you came to know Christ. Paul didn't plan all this. Paul didn't plan to be an apostle. He says, this was God's idea. God chose me just like he's chosen the rest of us in this room who know Jesus to accomplish his purposes through us. And Paul said, my calling was to a specific task. Look and see what that was. Verse 25, I've been called to become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you. And here's what God's specific task, Paul said, is for me. To make God's message fully known. That's what God's called me to do, Paul said, to make God's message fully known. Paul was given by God a very tall order. You think about it. I don't know anybody else that's been given the job to do that Paul was given to do, to make the the message of God fully known. That means to take it everywhere, to everybody, especially to the Gentiles. We know that Paul was called to take it to the Gentile world that needed to hear the gospel, and that's what drove Paul not just to take the gospel, by the way, to the Roman Empire. I think that's part of what he's saying here. To make the word of God fully known, Paul said, part of my calling is to write down these things so that we might have them today, 2,000 years later. I mean, you look at your New Testament. How much of your New Testament is signed the Apostle Paul? A whole lot of it. 
So Paul's job was to be part of the completion of the word of God, to write so much of the New Testament. And I really believe this. I, the, the, the last crowd, they kind of looked at me like I was, are you serious? But I look forward to the day in heaven when I can walk up to the apostle Paul. You know, he's going to have a crowd around him all the time. He is. But I'm looking forward to the day when I can walk up to this man and, and shake his hand and say, listen, Thank you so much for obeying God's call in your life. Because it's because of you I could understand so much about Jesus and about the faith. It's because of you. There was so much for for me to learn and to share with others. Thank you so much. And, And I look forward to the day when I get to personally... Thank him. I hope you look forward to that day as well. I want to, I'm going to seek him out. He's one of the, there's a lot of people in heaven I want to talk to, but he's one of them for sure. A specific calling to serve. Now, I'm not the Apostle Paul, not, nowhere close, not Billy Graham, neither are you. And, and my calling or your calling might not be as large in context as was Paul's. But here's what, please go home with this. If you're a believer in Christ, he has selected a ministry for you to fulfill, listen to me, within the body, if you're part of this church, within the body of his church here at Nag's Head. And through that ministry, whatever it might be that God has for you, through that ministry, he's going to use you to bless and to build up the church. But here's the, 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 the extra benefit of it. When you serve in your ministry, you plug in and you find what you're supposed to be doing. Not only are you building up others and blessing the church, you find in return you get blessed by it as well. And here at Nags Head Church, we, we believe the Bible's really clear that every partner, and for our guests we use the word partner as other churches use the word member, but every partner in the church has a place of service ready for him or her. And we believe that's clearly what's taught in Scripture, places like Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about every part of the body providing what that part and that part alone has been given by God, equipped by God to give back in, in being a servant. And because we believe that, we hold up this expectation here in Nagshead Church for every partner to be involved in ministry, in serving. In fact, everybody who's a part of this church, you know that you've been, you had to sit through a, an interview with some elders and, and uh, before you became a partner in here. And, and one of the things that happens in that interview without fail is we encourage those coming into this fellowship to plug into a ministry team. Hey, we want you to start thinking about and praying about where you're going to serve on Sundays here at Nags Head Church because it takes all of us to accomplish what happens. And we talked last week. As Paul was talking about standing before being presented holy and faultless and blameless. And we talked about that time in the future, that event that's coming when you and I will stand before Christ and give an account to him of how we served with the salvation that he's given us. You know, I, I wonder what some folks are going to say if on that day they stand before Jesus Christ And they have to admit, you know what, Lord, I never quite found my place of ministry. I never found my niche. And maybe they start throwing out the excuses. By the way, 
And I'm not saying I'm, I might not do it as well, but how dumb is it to throw out an excuse to the Lord who knows everything? Who do we think we're going to be fooling? I was just so busy, Lord. You know, Lord, I was trying to raise a family. And by the way, family is my ministry, right? It's not your ministry to the body. It's your ministry to the family. He wants us to have a ministry to the body as well. What are we going to say to him? You know, Lord, I, I never found my place of ministry. I never, Lord, I know you gave me this gift. But I never took the time to take the wrapper off of it, open the box and see what it was. What are some people going to say who never fulfilled God's calling in their lives? That's what motivated Paul. Paul was constantly, and he writes about it on several occasions in his epistles. One of these days, I'm standing there before Jesus, and I'm going to have to explain to him what I did with the life that he gave me, with the salvation that he gave me. And Paul's, Paul was, and, and that motivates me too. And I want to, I'll be frank with you. I listen to Jesus' parable. I read it and I think about it. The parable that Jesus wrote about that moment. And he told this parable about Jesus, about a, um, um, a master that had the three servants and he gave all three of them some money, some talents. You remember talents? Was kind of, and he said, now go and do something with it. And then they had to come back and give an account. I want to be one of those servants that Jesus looks at and says to, hey, Rick, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that for you as well. I want that for all of us who know Christ. I want us to serve with what God's given us. If you're a partner here at Nags Head Church and you haven't found a place of ministry yet, let me encourage you to talk to any of our elders. Let me encourage you to find Tom. Wave at us, Tom. Both hands up in the air. Woo-hoo. And Tom is our pastor of ministries. You'll make Tom's day if you come up to Tom today and say, Tom, plug me in somewhere. Tom will find a spot for you. But talk to any of our, our, our ministry team. Any ministry team leaders here right now? Raise your hand if you're a ministry team leader. Raise it up high. I see one. It's a couple over here. All right. Uh, there's one in the back. So we've got several folks right here that can help you find a place and that you can try out. And listen, you try out a ministry and you say, but that's just not a good fit for me. That's okay. We'll find another place for you to try something else out. But by all means, serve. Why? Here's why. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know what that means? You know what that tells us? We were saved to serve. That's why he saved us, was to do this. Now, the next part is the part that some of you, you're going to be in danger of turning this off right here and now. The next point is this. If you follow Christ, you will suffer. As I was putting this together, I thought, you know, all of us are called to serve. And then I thought my next point is going to be some of us are called to suffer. But I couldn't find that spelled out in the word. It seems like it's saying to us, hey, you follow Jesus, there's going to be some suffering involved. Look with me at verse 24. Now I rejoice, he said, in my sufferings for you. Stop. What are you ta- what's he talking about? Where is Paul when he wrote this letter? Somebody tell me. He's in prison. He's in a cold, dark, damp prison cell. No freedom. That's where he is. He says, but I rejoice in my sufferings for you. What does it mean to rejoice? It means to be excited about it. It means to have joy about it. Paul says, this is, can you amaze? This is so unbelievable. I get to suffer for you, is what Paul's saying. Was Paul crazy? Some people thought he was. 
But Paul understood. He said, why? He said, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body. That is the church. What does that mean? Paul's relating his personal calling, which included sufferings for the church. Now, he is not saying that Christ's sufferings on the cross weren't enough to bring about salvation. You cannot read the rest of Paul's stuff and say that's what he was talking about. Paul is all about Jesus paid it all. That was Paul. He's not talking here about salvation. He's talking about service. Now, Christ, by the way, does continue to suffer as the church suffers. When Christ looks at places like China, where the church is being so harshly persecuted, and places in Africa where, where Islamic groups are going in on Sundays and blowing churches with, full of people up right now. Christ, as he sees his church suffer, that's his body. He's suffering with them and with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 29, you can go back and read Paul's story there, but he tells more details about his own testimony, his own story, and he gives a list of what he's been through for following Christ. And he says, in the midst of all these things, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been threatened, I've been, I've been imprisoned. In the midst of all these things, he said, I can rejoice. And suffering. Now, we live in a time in American Christianity where many have bought into the teaching that says, and by the way, guys that preach this and teach this, they're quite popular on TV. We've bought in American Christianity a teaching that says God will not allow his people to suffer. Let me tell you what. If, if that be the case, God owes an apology to Job and to David and to Peter and John and Paul. He owes an apology to those Christians that went through the Iron Curtain days of communism in the Soviet Union. He owes an apology to people in Africa, in Islamic nations who are, who are, who are suffering for their faith right now. But that seems to be, in America, we buy, oh, that sounds so good. If I love Jesus, everything in my life's going to turn out rosy. But suffering isn't something that we look forward to as we follow Christ here in this country, but the Bible seems to make it clear that it is part of what follows your salvation. Where? Well, things that you, you're familiar with these words. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. Now, what was, it wasn't a little piece of jewelry that you wore around your neck. That's not what he was talking about, your cross. He was talking about suffering. He was talking about pain. He was talking about humiliation. He was talking about rejection. He was talking about injustice. He was talking about the possibility of death. The cross. Take up your cross. He told his disciples in John 16, you will have suffering in this world. You will have. That sounds like a promise to me, does it not to you? It's going to happen. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, Christian? Of course, we all go, yeah, duh. The Bible says sometime in your life, at some point in your life, if that's what you're living, 
which means you can't be secret about who you are. If that's what you're living, he said, sometime there's going to be some persecution. And those great saints of Scripture, they all suffered loss and heartache and pain. Now, go back to what I started off with this morning about the big dogs in the porch. None of us, Christian, are called to stay under the porch. None of us are. We're all called to run with the big dogs, whether that be Peter and Paul and John and Job and David, whether that be the Christians. You'll never know their name until you get to heaven and meet them in China and in Africa and in the Soviet Union countries and and wherever else they've been persecuted. Those big dogs, we're called to run with them. And as we see our culture here in the United States moving farther and farther away from being tolerant of Christianity, which we are, as listening in the news this morning as I was getting ready, and there's a story about Rhode Island. The governor of Rhode Island says, you can't call it a Christmas tree. And I thought, how, you know, how, I mean, I, I enjoyed history when I was in school, and I remember my American history, and I remember that the colony of Rhode Island was established by a man by the name of Roger Williams. And Roger Williams fled from Massachusetts because Roger Williams was a Baptist. And in Massachusetts, it was either you're a Puritan or you're wrong, and he was being persecuted. So he said, I want to be able to practice my faith in the way I believe God wants me to practice it freely. And so he moved, he left Massachusetts and went to establish this Rhode Island colony where there was great freedom of religion. How ironic is it now that the governor of Rhode Island says, don't call this tree a Christmas tree. You've got to call it a holiday tree because we don't want to offend those who are not Christians. Well, hello. It's a Christmas tree. It's about Christmas. You know, it's about what Christians do. As we move farther and farther in our culture from being tolerant of Christianity to being openly hostile to Christians, you and I, uh, this is coming, folks. We're going to have to deal with things that will amount to persecution like we never have before in this country. And I believe that unless there is a genuine Holy Spirit-driven revival of God sweeping across our country, things are going to get worse as we keep going here in the United States of America. And if you are a believer, you need to be prepared for it. Don't let it catch you off guard. God says, be ready. Expect it. But you know, Rick, wow, you're getting in maybe... You're getting up here in church this morning where you need to be attracting people to Christ and to the gospel and to the church and following Christ. And you're telling them if you follow Christ, you're going to suffer. Won't that turn people off? Some of them, probably. Paul wrote to a young preacher named Timothy, and he said, you know what's going to happen in the end times, Timothy? And I believe we're in the end times. He said, in the end times, the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine or teaching. But according to their own desires, not God's desires for them, but their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. He says, here's what's going to happen. They're going to turn away from the truth and they're going to go listen to preachers and teachers. They're going to tell them what they want to hear. Give them a feel-good thing. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's what's coming. 
And I believe we're in that day. You know what's interesting? You know what the source of Paul's suffering was? Look with me at verse 26. The mystery, he said, God called me to make things fully known, God's message fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. He reveals it here, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the source of Paul's suffering, he said, was a mystery that's being revealed. The Greek word for mystery is mysterion, and it means a secret that is revealed to those within. Well, who would be those within? And he tells us who that is. Those within are the saints, he says, the church. He said, and the church is being, this mystery is being explained to the church. Well, what was that mystery? Paul wrote about it to, and extensively to the Ephesians in chapter 3. He used the same terminology. And the mystery was simply this. God, this God of the universe, this God of ages past, this God of eternity, generations ago, centuries ago, selected the Jewish people to be the ones who would bring the Messiah into the world and redeem the world through Jesus Christ. And and now what God's doing is God's taking the Gentile world as well, and he's taking believing Jews and believing Gentiles, and he's bringing them together in one body called the church. That was the mystery. And that was the source of his persecution. So how was that mystery tied in with Paul's suffering for the church? Well, if you know the story of the book of Acts, Acts is the history book of the early church. You know that Jews followed Paul everywhere he went. Everywhere Paul traveled through Asia Minor, here came this group of Jews, and they would come, and once Paul got there, and they would start stirring stuff up and start instigating things and start spreading rumors and getting the Jewish population against Paul and even the Gentile population, and they would cause all this persecution that came up. And they hated the fact, these Jews did, that one of their favorite golden boys, one of their their heroes, the guy that was going to be the future leader maybe of all of Judaism, the one who was out to exterminate Christianity, they hated the fact that now he's turned and done an about face and now he's become, not only become a Christian himself, but now he's trying to get the whole world to become Christians. And now he's saying that God wants to take us, the Jews, and bring us together with these Gentiles into this new family called the church, and that there is no separate identity. Paul said there is no Jew, there is no Greek. We're all one in Christ. Everybody's the same. As God revealed this mystery, so much of the Old Testament began to make sense. The Jews had thought, we are God's chosen people, and that's it. We're the only ones that get in. But that was never God's plan. In fact, when God said, I want you to build the tabernacle, and outside the tabernacle, there's this area. And they had it outside the temple as well, this area called the Court of the Gentiles that was outside the temple. That should have turned on some lights for the Jewish mind that would have said, hey, God wants these people to be part of this plan as well. He hasn't excluded them. But you know how racial prejudices and feelings of superiority, how they blind otherwise rational hearts. That's what happened. 
And by showing Peter and then Paul, these two leading preachers and missionaries of their day, that Jesus the Messiah came for Gentiles too, Paul says that opened up a great wealth, glorious wealth of the mystery. This great wealth, this great treasure of biblical truth was opened up that had been hidden. You ever have something hidden, uh, you know, you discover, you ever, this time of year, I did it here not too long ago. You go and you get in a closet and the weather turns cold and you pull down a jacket or a coat that you haven't worn in six months, you know, seven months, and you put it on and you reach your hand into your pocket and there's a $20 bill in there. And you wonder, what in the world? That's been in there all, um, and, and you kind of get excited, you know, because you found something that had been hidden for so long, you didn't realize it was there. And here they have this treasure that's been opened up to them, that's been hidden to them, that Jesus has brought Jew and Gentile together as the church. The glorious wealth of the mystery is simple, he says. Look what it is. The glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, if you're a believer in Jesus, he is all you need for eternal life. He is your hope. It's not a hope. You know, some... I ask people sometimes, how do you know, are, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Well, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. How do you know that? Well, it's kind of like if it was a quiz show. How do you know that? Well, I, I'm going to heaven because, because I'm a member of the church. I'm going to heaven because I've been baptized seven times. I'm going to heaven because my, my daddy was a deacon. You know, I'm going to heaven because I try to treat my, my neighbors with kindness and, and as I try to do the golden rule. People have all kinds of reasons why they say they're going to heaven. Paul says the only, your hope of glory, your hope of eternity is found in one person and that's Jesus. If anybody has any other answer as to why they think they're going to heaven, it's they're wrong. It's only about Jesus, Christ in you. How do I know that I'm going to heaven? It's not because I, I'm, I'm a good person, because I know that I'm not. It's not because my daddy was a preacher, even though that he was. It's not because, uh, you know, my wife is, is a sweetheart, and though she is, it's not because my kids are good kids. It's not because I pastor a church. It's not because I give a tithe. It's because Christ is in me, and he is the hope of glory. That's it. That's the answer. So Paul concludes this chapter in verses 28 through 30 by saying Christ is the message of our ministry and our mission. Christ is the message of why I serve, Paul said. Christ is the message behind why I even suffer. Look what he says in verse 28. We proclaim him, Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Look what he says we do. First of all, he says, we proclaim him. We certainly means Paul, and and I'm sure it means Timothy. Timothy was with him when he was there in jail as he wrote this letter. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you see that. But I believe we is including the saints here too, the church he's talking to. We proclaim Christ. The church is us serving together, and it sounds as though Paul is telling these church folks, hey, you know what? We're on this team together, you and me, and our message is to proclaim Christ. 
It's about Jesus. Well, how do we proclaim him? Look what he says. Well, first of all, we warn everyone. A warning appeals to a person's heart. Warnings are usually not spoken very softly, are they? You know, uh, warnings are usually flashing lights, sirens. Stop! If you knew today that the bridge going over to Roanoke Island was out, that something had happened and the bridge had collapsed, and let's just say it's in the middle of the night, three in the morning, and you know that, and you're the first person to know that, if you do not do everything within your power to block the road, to call 911, to get the cops there, to get the lights flashing, to keep people from going over that bridge to a certain impending death, if you don't do everything you can to stop them, you're a pretty cruel person, aren't you? Paul says, we warn everyone. Warn them of what? Eternity is real. And sin has impacted us in such a way that none of us can get to heaven on our own. It's about Jesus. And Paul says, so we warn people about what's coming in the future. But not only do we warn everyone, he says, then also, look what he says, we teach everyone. Teaching, whereas warning appeals to the heart, teaching appeals to the intellect and is connected with faith and about what we believe or, or our doctrine. The church, by the way, the church, you know, I've been to some churches, all the preacher does is warn. You ever been to those preachers, those churches? You know, it's, it's hellfire and brimstone every week. And there's a place for that, I think, maybe, sometimes. But there's never any teaching. And so you have real shallowness there. Uh, there's teaching got to be involved. We teach Everyone, Paul said. The church has to do more than just proclaim. The church has a responsibility to explain. And that's what teaching, good teaching, should do. And here in our church, while elders and pastors are called to be able to teach, the Spirit also gives other people in the church the ability to teach as well. So follow this thought with me. If everyone, teaching everyone, if everyone should be taught, and that includes everybody, everyone's everyone. If everyone should be taught, that would tell us that one of the qualities God wants me and wants you, all of us, to build into our lives is to have a teachable spirit, to be open to the truth, to be willing to learn. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, then he says, presenting everyone mature in Christ. Grown up. Sadly, I, I've known people who profess to be Christians and some who have professed to be Christians for years and maybe decades. Listen to me now. And they have never in 20 years, 30 years of Christianity, they have never, listen, they have never reproduced themselves in another person spiritually. They have never led another person to saving faith in Christ. They've never won another soul to Jesus. Never. You know, I couldn't become a father when I was five years old. Why? Physically, I was not mature enough for that to happen. But when I was mature enough and God put me with the right woman and we were blessed with marriage and we started reproducing ourselves. And it was fun. Some of you don't know whether to laugh at that or not. 
Well, it wasn't fun when the baby was born for Gail. I had a good time. I thought, this is great. I said, let's do this again real soon. I know people who spiritually have been Christians for more than five years, 10 years, 20 years, and they should be mature, but they're not. And there's so many other things that, by the way, how do I know if I'm mature as a Christian? Because I reproduce my faith and so, well, that's one thing. But you know how you know you're mature as a Christian? You compare yourself to some, someone who isn't. And the person that we compare ourselves to is Christ. He is our standard. We're to become Christ-like in everything that we do. Paul says, presenting everyone mature in Christ. God wants all of his children to mature. And then lastly, he says, laboring and striving in God's power. Laboring, working to the point of exhaustion. I was watching Chris this morning as we were singing that one song, Shout for Joy. I don't know if you paid attention. I was watching that guy. I mean, it was like he never stopped the whole song. He was, I mean, I'm, and I'm thinking, he's an old guy. God, he might die right there doing all that stuff. He's got to be worn out. I mean, you know, the whole song he's doing that. I mean, there was never a time when he got to take a breath. Ministry can be hard work. Ministry is tiring. There are people who have been here at this, in this building since 7.30 this morning to do ministry. And some will be here later today to do ministry. Ministry can be exhausting. And the word laboring here means to work to the point of exhaustion. Does your ministry wear you out? Listen to me, if it doesn't, what are you doing? Are you really laboring? Are you really ministering? And there are some people, and I don't want to throw, you know, I, I just get the idea from some people that, you know, okay, get in ministry. What's the least thing that I can do? It's kind of the attitude that people take. What's the smallest amount that I can give? What's the, le- the least amount of time that I can give? Paul says, Ministering is laboring. And then he says ministry is striving. You'll relate to this. The Greek word there that Paul uses for striving is, and you'll figure this out. You're bright, I can tell, except those of you who have your eyes closed. The word striving here, the Greek word is agonizomai. Guess what English word comes from agonizomai? Paul says ministry is agonizing. Again, ladies, think back to when you were in labor. That's the idea. Ministry is agony. Now, it's going to produce something joyful that makes you rejoice, correct? But boy, while you're trying to get there, there's some agony going on. Ministry can be agonizing, but it's fruitful. And then Paul says here, as I labor, as I agonize, Paul says, I want us to understand that it's in God's Power, the strength that works powerfully in me. Here's the deal. If my ministry that I do on Sunday morning, if the ministry that you do on Sunday morning, those of you who minister, whether you're on the first impressions team, the hospitality team, and Kidmo, and the nursery, you're counting offering, whatever it might be, if your ministry is done in your own power and your own strength, if it's just going through the motions and anybody could do it, then it's really not ministry. You're just going through the stuff. Paul says we do ministry in the power of the Lord. And here's what that means. 
when it's God's power working through us, and it doesn't matter how, it might be, you, you might be here and you're on our housekeeping team and you're emptying trash cans or mopping the floor. That's ministry. But if it's just in your own strength, if it doesn't bring you, Lord, if, uh, bring, you, bring you joy, then you're missing out on what, on the power of God. You, you mean God wants me to be able to mop five times faster than I can? No, that's not what that means. But God empowers you to do what you do so there is a joy for it and God is going to use this church because of what you do in ministry so that God through this church, through this body of believers can do things in our community. We can see things happening that we otherwise cannot explain. Would you bow your heads with me, please? The gospel's for everyone, but everyone will not hear the gospel unless they're told. And that's our job is to tell the gospel. We do that by serving one another. We do that by reaching out. And it may cause and, and cost us time, energy. We may suffer. We may be persecuted for taking a stand for Christ. All those things are possible. But that's what he calls us to. I don't want Christian light in my life. I want, I want all the power of God to work through me. I want to see God's power working through you and collectively through this body. And that's what he wants. Have you discovered your place, your specific calling of ministry? If not, he wants you to. And your life will change when you do. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, we're a little uncomfortable today. And that that holy discontent, that discomfort, will move us to do things, Father, supernaturally as we open up the gift, discover your calling in our lives to serve. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.